So in honor of the Super Bowl today, um, this sermon has a Super Bowl-sized scope. Not length. I was going to try to do a 13-second sermon, but <laughs> I didn't know if that would go over. It would probably go over really well, actually. But <laughs> we're going to go big today um, in order to understand just how Jesus thinks we heard it said and how Jesus wants us to hear it. Instead, you remember those you have heard it said statements that Jesus offers us where we're going to listen in today and see what he thinks we should hear. If you've been around the last couple months, you know that we've been spending the year in the Gospel of Matthew. The last few weeks we've been listening to Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, we learned, came to start a kingdom movement. And the Sermon on the Mount is where he lays out what this movement looks like. With the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, the meek, the persecuted. He showed us what the kingdom of heaven looks like, where all those who are not blessed now in the upside-down kingdom, they are the ones who will feel the most blessings. Then he told us that we have a role to play in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, that we are to be salt, peppering the earth with kingdom seasoning. We're to be light, shining kingdom brightness in the darkness of the world. And finally, last week, Jesus told us that he did not come to earth to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill the law. Right, man. And he called us to a life of righteousness in order to help fulfill the law. Now, here's the thing to remember about the word law. Whenever we read the word law in Scripture, there's two related meanings that kind of hang out underneath that word law. The first are the literal laws, the 613 laws that God gave to Moses. Like, I think this is polyester. According to those laws, I should not be wearing this because you don't wear two fabrics together. That's one of the laws of the Old Testament. And, and so we have those 613 rules that God laid out. But the second meaning underneath this word law is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Together they are the Torah, the law. Which means, the Torah means the law in Hebrew. And the fact that Jesus says that he didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets tells us that Jesus did not, oh, she loves her daddy. Did you see how quick that happened? Oh, I like the baby, sorry. (laughs) And so the fact that Jesus says he didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets tells us that Jesus did not come to undo anything in the Old Testament, but rather to fulfill God's purposes in the story of the Israelites. And so as much, and much of that story, especially the Torah, has to do with righteousness. Righteousness. And the easiest way to think about the term righteousness is just when you hear righteousness to think right relationship. That God continually calls us into righteousness, into right relationships, to make right our broken relationship with God, but also to make right our broken relationships with our neighbors. And in fact, those two things go hand in hand. So, I told you it was going to be a big day, right? We're going to take a quick look at the story of the Torah and see how righteousness works in there. So the Torah, the book of the law, the books of the law start with Genesis and with creation. 
You might remember that God created the heavens, the earth, the sky, the sea, plants, animals, you, me, and all of it was what? Good. In fact, creation wasn't just good, it was very good. And God had a beautiful relationship with that creation. God walked in the garden with the creation. He talked with them, shared life with them. But then that creation, Adam and Eve, they broke God's trust. They broke the one rule, the one law that they had, and they broke their perfect relationship. They were cast out of the garden, out of relationship with their creator, and the rest of the book of Genesis is about God forming a nation of people, the chosen people, the Israelites, through which one day he would restore this broken relationship with creation. Mend it, make it right again. In fact, Genesis ends with this perfect picture of the future day as Joseph's own broken relationships to his family is restored, made whole again in Egypt. And so that brings us to the next book, Exodus, where Moses and the Israelites leave Egypt and are on their way to being restored to their right home in the promised land of Canaan. What was broken is going to be fixed. They'll go back to their land. God instructs them to build a tabernacle so that God's presence can once again be with them so that they might again walk with their Lord. Restoration is happening The book of Leviticus then introduces all the laws, 613 of them that will allow the broken people to be in their creator's presence. We're broken, so in our broken nature, we can't walk in just willy-nilly into God's presence. We need some kind of way to purify ourselves to make things right so that we can be with God. And those laws are all about making us right so that we can truly be in the presence of God's holiness And then the book of Numbers tells the rest of the Israelites' journey to the promised land, ending us with Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, there's Moses standing on a mountainside before his death, reminding God's people of all that they must do to be reconciled with the Lord as they are about to enter the promised land, the kingdom of Israel once again, which (sighs) brings us back to Jesus standing on a mountainside, (laughs) telling the crowds what it will be like when they once again enter the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and what they must do to be reconciled with God, to make things right again, to find righteousness. I came not to abolish the law, he says, but to fulfill it. If you want to be righteous... If you yearn for a right relationship with God and your neighbor, this is what you can do, he says. This is how you follow the law. This, ah, finally today, is Matthew 5, verses 21. It's a long one, too. 21 through 48, but they all go together. So this is what Jesus says. You have heard it said, To those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. 
Am I reading a different translation than you are, aren't I? I'm going to read what you read. And then I'll put this here so it looks like I'm reading from the Bible. Thou shalt not lie. <laughs> All right, um, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Make sure it's right. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who has taken you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison, and things will be even more broken. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gadge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better to you, for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adulterers, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath. Remember that, Joyce. Do not break your oath. <laughs> but fulfill it to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? This one's the easiest part of the whole thing, right? Be perfect. <laughs> Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you and praise you for your word. Sometimes it's hard to hear your word and think we could ever hope to live up to it. And so we thank you also for your son, 
who showed us how we might walk. And we thank you also for your spirit who empowers us to keep trying. And we thank you today that you continue to speak to us, each and every one of us. Help us to listen. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, it might seem weird, but whenever I, I think about this part of, of Jesus' sermon, I think about taxes, like our taxes. Like, specifically, though, I think about tax laws, because it really is kind of ludicrous, the extremes to which people and corporations will go to maybe fulfill the letter of the law, the tax law, but definitely not the spirit of the tax law. And so that forces then us as governing bodies, right, as the people, we have to write more tax laws to try and keep people from getting out of paying their taxes, which just make us find more loopholes to not have to pay taxes. And it's this vicious cycle. And the next thing you know, tax, tax laws get longer and longer and the loopholes get bigger and bigger. And now we have 6,979 pages of tax codes but that's not all. <laughs> In order to understand those 6,979 pages of tax codes, we also in the United States have 70,000 pages of official tax regulations and IRS guidance to help us know what to do with the 6,979 pages of tax codes. It's like in the Old Testament. Sometimes I wonder, like, God gave Adam and Eve one code, <laughs> one law, one rule, and they found a way <laughs> to break it, right? I mean, the snake even looks like a loop. They found the hole, right? The snake was like, hey, and, and so right at the beginning, and they tried to get out of it, right? They're like, no, 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 we didn't eat the fruit, the snake gave it to us, made us do it. It wasn't us, right? So then God's like, all right, here's 10 rules, 10 commandments, if you will. And they find a way around them. I mean, wow, God, the exact moment God is telling Moses not to make idols or to have any other gods before me, what's his brother doing, the future high priest? He's making an idol, he's breaking them. <laughs> And then he tries to get out of it, right? He's like, no, no, I don't know what happened. Like, all of our gold just jumped in a bucket and out popped a, a calf. Like, I didn't, right? No. And the holes just keep getting loopier and loopier. And the next thing you know, now there are 613 laws when really Jesus reminds us at the heart of things, all we're really required to do is love, love, God and love your neighbor. But we seem to be more enamored with loopholes than we are with love. We're more enamored with calling other people to the mat for not hitting the letter of the law while we're over here stomping all over the spirit of the law in our own right. God's intent with the law it's like, no, really, Auditor Sally, like, I need this 70-inch 4K television to keep up on the latest news because my job really requires me to know what's happening in the world in 4K. <laughs> sure you do, Ted. 
And the TV has nothing to, attach, to do with the PlayStation that's attached by an umbilical cord to your television either, does it, right? Jesus says, you have heard it said, do not murder. I mean, which makes sense, right, for Jesus to bring that one up. It's one of the big ten. It's a commandment. But Jesus says to us even further, don't even harbor anger against someone. Don't call them fool or raka. Raka is an Aramaic word. We don't really know what it means, but it's probably not good if it's the one word Jesus singled out. Plus, it's a four-letter word, so you know it's not good. But we do that, don't we? I mean, I'm not mad enough to kill you, but the fires of hell hath no fury like someone with a Twitter account who can tweet you to death. I'm not going to kill you, but I'm going to bully you. I'm going to ghost you. I'm going to ignore you. I'm going to make life awful for you. We just saw this in the news. I'm going to make life bad enough for you that you might just kill yourself. I'm not going to break the letter of the law. But Jesus says, hey, is that really what it's about? Jesus is like, come on, I mean, these, these laws don't exist for themselves. These laws exist as part of God's grand righteousness program, his project, to make us right with God and right with each other. And while murder has never in the history of murder mended a relationship between two people, it's hard to have a right relationship with someone after you kill them. Neither has any amount of name-calling, anger, resentment, or anti-social media ever made a relationship right between two people. You've heard it said that you have, you, you, you have to make it official if you're going to divorce your wife, right? You can't just leave her on the side of the road. Now remember, this is in Jesus' day, so things are a little bit different, right? You have to make it official and he says, but I say to you, you shouldn't even divorce at all except for cases of sexual immorality because in Jesus' day, even if your relationship with your wife is broken, divorcing her wasn't going to make it right for her. It was going to make life worse for her. She couldn't remarry. She couldn't provide for herself. She was separated from her family of origin and now she's separated from your family. It was as good as a death sentence. And since when did condemning someone to death ever make a relationship right. You've heard it said, don't break your oath. But I say to you, don't even swear an oath. Like, why do you have to bring the hairs on the top of your head into this? Why do you got to bring my dad into this? Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you're going to do it, just do it. Like, if you're going to do it, just do it. And if you fail, the relationship might take a hit. But if you fail and you swore an oath, when has that ever made breaking relationships less broken? You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. But when in the history of ever has it ever stopped with the second eye? Humans are far too loopy to let it end there, right? You hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you back more, which then means I have to hurt you back even more. And the next thing you know, the world's going at war again for the third time because the Hatfields and the McCoys got 
upset with one another. Now, Jesus says it's far better to just end the cycle before it gets started. It's far better to fix the relationship before it gets broken anymore. Jesus says it's far better to just turn the other cheek. Anyone else's mom? My mom used to do this. Just don't engage, Mike. Actually, it was Michael. Just don't engage, Michael. Just don't engage with them. Brush it off. Walk away. It might hurt your pride, but it's not about our pride, right? Look where pride got us in the garden. It's about making things right so that we can get back to the garden. No amount of cheap slapping or warmongering ever made a relationship more righter. You've heard it said, Jesus says, hate your enemy. But I say love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And, and there it is, that word, love. With all due respect to the Beastie Boys and Travis Kelsey Adeline, <laughs> God did not create us to fight for our right. <laughs> God did not create us to fight for righteousness. God did not create us to fight in order to fix our broken relationships. God created us to love for our right. You got to love for your right to righteousness. It doesn't work. Right? To love our broken relationships back together. To make things perfect again as our heavenly father is what? perfect. And for the record, like that's a big scary word, be perfect. But actually in the Greek, that word perfect really means whole. It really means complete. And by that, it really means no longer broken. Be complete. As your father, the three in one is complete and they all get along. to love ourselves back to the garden and to the kingdom of heaven. No amount of hurt, no amount of death ever fixed a broken relationship except for one death. But that death was born of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal, what? Life. So that his death might end the cycle of a death for a death for a death for a death. And that we might have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven, that things might be made, what again? Whole, right again. So what did Jesus do? He taught us why God gave us all those laws to begin with. He taught us the meaning of our story here on earth, and He showed us how to love, not fight, our way into the kingdom of right relationships. And so we've been asking it every week. In response to that, what will you do? Will you stop pointing fingers while you're living in the loopholes? Will you join Jesus and help love this broken world 
back to wholeness. Amen? Amen.